Hey, it's John Ingle, and I'm excited to share that registration is now live for Grid Tech Connect Forum California. Join us in Newport Beach June 24th through the 26th for the interconnection event. We're bringing together utilities, developers, regulators, and advocates to take on one of the biggest challenges facing the energy transition, both at the DG and utility scale levels. Click the link in the episode description and use promo code PODCAST to save 10% on admission. Join our partners from the Department of Energy, NREL, Southern California Edison, PG&E, Kaiso, Sunrun, NG, Convergent, AES, and so many more for this impactful event. We'll see you there. The mindset shift in Europe in the last year, for very sad reasons for Ukraine and Russia, has been really momentous. It's not too late, and I think there is willingness to, to make things happen. When the American clean energy industry met at RE Plus in September, seemingly every conversation exuded an optimistic tone about the future. Historic incentives for clean energy in the Inflation Reduction Act, paired with the generational industrial policy, brought U.S. climate goals within reach at a point when their prospects appeared bleak at best. Now billions of dollars of investment is flowing into American clean energy manufacturing. The outlook couldn't be more different in Europe, where industry leaders recently came together at Enlit Europe in Frankfurt, Germany. Russia's invasion of Ukraine has exacerbated an already dire energy crisis, and the continent that once led the energy transition is watching its influence slip. I'm John Ingle, Content Director for Renewable Energy World. This week on Factor This, you'll hear two conversations that I had with some of Europe's top clean energy leaders in Frankfurt as we discussed Europe's path forward and the prospect for transformational industrial policy there. First, I'm joined by Jochen Hauf, who is the Director of Corporate Strategy, Energy Policy and Sustainability at Bewa RE. Later, you'll hear from Sonadix CEO Axel Thiemann. And make sure you make it to the end of the podcast. I'll tell you how the U.S. and E.U. are looking to resolve concerns about how the Inflation Reduction Act could impact global clean energy manufacturing competition. That's all next on Factor This from Renewable Energy World. Distributech International taking place in San Diego, California, is your source for smart cities content and experiences. From educational sessions to the new Smart City Zone, a can't-miss experience right on the show floor. Distributech is reimagining what it means to move smart cities forward. Take a look at the full event program at distributech.com and get ready to connect with the industry February 7th through 9th, 2023. We are talking about renewables deployment in Europe with Jochen Hauf, the Director of Corporate Strategy at Bewa and the Vice President of Solar Power Europe. Jochen, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. When we talk about all of these these ambitious goals that are ahead of us, we are fresh off COP27. We have goals coming out of the UK, the US, obviously, and in Europe. What are some of the pitfalls that you as an advocate, but also in industry are watching for and cognizant of that we need to address going forward to make sure we can achieve those goals? And we have all day. We do. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, I mean, uh, let me prioritize very quickly. Um, I mean, one of the pitfalls that certainly comes to mind first in my, in my view is the topic of supply chain. Um, uh, and I'm not talking only solar, even though that's the most obvious one where we, uh, in Europe, but also in the, in the U.S. have a, a strong dependency on, on Asia and most notably China, uh, especially on the wafer side. So that is a, an issue that I think we've all been aware of and that with recent events you mentioned uh, is 
becoming to the forefront. And, and so that's clearly something we need to um, do something about as an industry, but also in the policy field. But it's not only the solar supply chain we should be concerned about. We see that our wind OEMs uh, here in Europe are struggling. Their, their financial results seem surprisingly bad if you look at the opportunity in the market at the same time, and that's because of soaring and unexpected um, uh, raw material prices and so on that they hadn't reflected in their contractual relationships. So also wind and also battery or transformers are in short supply um, and and have issues. So this requires, a, yeah, I would say a combined response by industry and the policymaker. Well, a great segue by you there. What mm-hmm. are those policies that we need to see come in the near mm-hmm. and long term? The U.S. most recently coming out with a very large package in the Inflation Reduction right. Act to support manufacturing in that country. Europe has its own measures. What are you watching for and, and what would you urge policymakers to do in the near and long term? Well, you're saying Europe has its own measures and I would say, tell me those because I don't think that Europe is at anywhere close to the level of industrial policy readiness and willingness uh, like now the U.S. is. I mean, just this week or last week, I think a delegation of Europeans went to the U.S. and said, wait a second, you can't do this. And then well, the answer is obviously, yes, they can and uh, they will. And it's now, a, I think, a wake-up call for European politicians in the national uh, capitals, but also in, in, in Brussels, uh, that they will have to move to that field of, of industrial policy. And they don't like it because that's not what they're about. The European Union is about avoiding that member states apply industrial policy against each other. Yeah, And that's why they're of industrial policy was almost a swear word. And all of a sudden we see obviously China having an industrial policy for many decades and it's not a secret now the US is turning to it. India is doing similar things and, and the Europeans have to come to terms and to, to get a grasp on how to actually do it. And they will need to, yeah, make some uncomfortable decisions and leave, uh, their, their starting point that industrial policy is bad. I think they will see we are in a world that is different and that requires new measures. So the policy side has to become comfortable, look at the IRA, see which elements are there. I'm not saying we need the exactly same thing, but we need something that that supports both the CapEx investment and the OPEX cost uh, for renewable energy production um, uh, manufacturing um, in order to do this. And we need to have a framework where member states in Europe can, you know, where it's not a total patchwork of every nation doing it a different way, but where there is some guidance and some alignment. Because what we also don't need is um, hundreds of small-scale manufacturers in uh, 20, 27 European countries, right? We need we need larger conglomerates. We need to have scale. And that's now we're coming to the industry response. Industry needs to come together to build that scale and to enable the buildup of scale because otherwise it will never be cost effective. Certainly a necessity in this global economy too with so many different regions uh, putting forth that industrial policy. You don't want it to be adversarial in any means, mm-hmm. but you want them to support almost each other in this this global effort that we're undertaking, right? Sure. And I think that's a, that's the good thing about keeping, you know, a, a dialogue open also with the U.S. Uh, and obviously other befriended um, uh, areas, economic activity and, and, and nations that, yes, uh, uh, if we now all fight for ourselves, likely that's not going to be the best uh, economic outcome. So keep an 
doors open and, and allowing an exchange between areas, but also still having the same focus on getting this done uh, is crucial. Certainly not only falling on policymakers, though. We know there is responsibility within the industry, within our corporate structures mm. to also achieve the goals that we have set out through through commitments and other strategies. What is the homework of industry and, and the corporate environment to enable these forces? And what would you share with even your colleagues in this space on where we need to go? I mean, one thing that that is first to really become aware and accept that there is an increased risk. Yeah, it's the supply chain risk, but it's also an increased volatility in energy markets that increase uh, the, uh, yeah, uh, the, well, that put pressure on our ability to firstly monitor and assess and secondly then manage and mitigate uh, these risks. So there is a bit of catch up. Some people in the company uh, or in the, in the company, I shouldn't talk about our company, but I think in the sector and ourselves included need to, need to still achieve, uh, that come to terms that the years of relentless growth, you know, where it was basically we're doing the good thing and we're doing more of it every year. It's more than that now. It, it, yeah. And we need to, we need to step up our game on managing those volatilities and these risk factors, right? And that will then, give us the peace of mind, give investors the peace of mind to, to continue to invest their capital in us because we, we, we manage it well. Yeah. We have to prove that, that also under un- increased uncertainty, we manage it well. Um, and, and that will then fuel uh, that massive growth that we have in front of us. I mean, it's a, it's the opportunity of a lifetime for everyone in renewable energy, uh, what we see right now, but it comes at a heightened, level of risk and it it needs to be addressed with governance structures with internal governance improvements process improvements as well and that's very much the homework this is not i mean politicians partly force us there is all sorts of um you know esg and other regulation that that is not necessarily from the same motivation but that has the same effect that there is an increase data request, increased transparency, financial investors want more information on the way we are sustainable and risk is included in that. So so there are a couple of policy framework settings that already force us in this direction and I mean, we need to get over complaining about the complexity of all that and just get to work and do it. Jochen Hauf, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks to Jochen Hauf for joining me at Enlit Europe in Frankfurt. Next, you'll hear my conversation with Sonadex CEO Axel Thiemann about the challenges facing clean energy developers in Europe, which is dealing with a war, an energy crisis, and economic uncertainty all at once. Here's Axel. Well, Axel, we, we obviously have plenty to talk about today. And I think an interesting moment to discuss with you, given Sonadex's broad exposure to a global market, we just emerged. We feel like we emerged from the coronavirus pandemic. Well, c- kind of. Kind of. <laughs> but we didn't get much relief immediately thrown into supply chain constraints, geopolitical strife with Russia's invasion of Ukraine, all of these dueling conflicts that a platform like yours has to deal with. How do you as a leader of a renewable energy producer of Sonodix's size navigate those headwinds and make sure that you stay nimble for such a changing environment? Well, if you put it like that, actually, I should ask myself, am I in the right business? Um, <laughs> if you put it like that. Uh, no, it's true. I think we are in a situation where we have unprecedented. And I think that's a word that has been probably overused you know, throughout the pandemic. But we are really in, in unprecedented uh, circumstances. And you mentioned some of this. So we have inflation. We have supply chain tightness, which is, I think, still partially linked to COVID. We have uh, interest rate increases, volatility. Um, we have 
driven to a certain extent by by the Ukraine-Russia war. We have the energy price volatility, particularly in Europe. Um, and we have regulatory activity with a velocity that we've, we haven't seen in, in, in the energy space. Um, a lot of short-term short-term problems, but I do think in the long run, I think we are in a very, very special, in actually a very good place. Um, so one of the things that I do every year, um, that I think it's fun, it's a little nerdy, but it's fun, uh, <laughs> is I compare the forecasts from last year to this year. and That is nerdy. That is nerdy, yeah. yeah. Thank you for that. Um, <laughs> but we... But we're in, in an industry that's very fortunate, not just that we're growing, but actually that the growth forecasts jump up every year. And this year has actually been, has seen the biggest jump that I can remember. So I think in the long term, we are in a very good place. We are sustainable. We are cost competitive. And we have seen a real mindset change with regards to uh, renewables. A, because the sustainability has become to the forefront. And also because there's a realization that it can drive, can, uh, it can kind of contribute to energy independence but um what we're doing particularly in this current situation is really navigating the short term very very carefully and maybe a couple of words about genetics um so we have roughly 800 million uh run rate revenue we in 10 countries um 85 percent of that is contracted um we are planning to build more than a gigawatt next year. Um, so we are coming from a very stable place. It's a lucky situation to have. Um, but what we're doing right now to deal with that is really navigating and choreographing the growth very carefully because um, I believe all these challenges in the long run will play out. We are the low-cost producer. If interest rates increase, if capex increases, we're still the low-cost producer. What we need to do is just make sure that we contract at the right price. And I believe in the long run, this is all a pass-through. Because no matter what happens on the cost side, we will still be low cost and PPA prices will adjust in the medium term. In the short term, there's obviously the, the, the risk that we have a crunch, that we overcommit to delivery at a certain price that is difficult to keep. So choreographing that when we contract, when we start construction, um, and when we financing, that's really the, the difficult part. And that's where we are putting a lot of effort to make sure that we keep our, our risk profile, our, our capital at risk in the growth space really tightly controlled. Um, but given that, I'm confident that we manage that and that really that we see the medium term very, very positive. Anyone who knows your background previously in finance before coming into renewable energy will not then be surprised that you compare forecasts for fun, that that is your pastime. Every yes, year. Thank, thank you. I also yeah. have other things that I do you, for fun. You have other yeah, hobbies. Yeah. yeah, we'll discuss those later, <laughs> yeah. maybe, if we have time. Um, so, Axel, then what are some of the biggest challenges that you are facing as a platform? We talked about how you navigate these macro trends and how you follow the market and, and try to stay nimble. But what are those those near-term risks that you mentioned, and, and how are you dealing with those? So, I... Hey, Factor This listeners, it's John Ingle. I wanted to let you know that you can now watch every new episode of The Fact of This podcast on YouTube. Just search Renewable Energy World and leave a rating and review while you're there. Thanks for listening. I think that the challenges that we have right now, um, if I look at the short term, number one is people. So all this, you know, choreographing that I described, um, you know, it, it's it's not something that, you know, happens naturally so what we're building is not that complicated you know it's steel 
it's copper, it's glass, it's, it's silicone that we're putting somewhere in an efficient way. But it's all about people that make that happen, that, that navigate these challenges. And access to talent is really the, the key thing that, uh, that I'm worried about in, in, in the short term. Together with two other things, one is um, regulatory certainty. So the energy crisis requires protection of end customers. There's no doubt about it. But what creates an issue for players like us is uncertainty. So frequently changing regulation. What we need is certainty so that we can plan and that we can deploy um, with confidence. And navigating that in the current environment, that has been a challenge. Um, the other thing is... Uh, permitting. We're seeing goals increase on a European level, on a national level, in the US. That is not necessarily matched by the ability to develop, to permit these projects on the ground. A lot of that is driven by local decisions, municipal decisions, and we're seeing capacity shortages. There's a lot of development that needs to be handled that is difficult. We see a little bit more of this not-in-my-backyard um, attitudes and what we are really looking for is certainty also on the on the development permitting front so that the national goals get translated in development policy to allow us to really deploy at speed to help the energy transition and also energy independence. We are fresh off of COP27. So I think it's um, a prudent time to frame where we stand from a policymaker standpoint mm -hmm. of commitments and ambitions to reach these goals that we know we need to reach in, in a very short amount of time with what you are seeing on the ground floor as a developer taking forth these projects and carrying them out and, and the doers, as I call you. Is there, a, is there a chasm? Is there some separation between the goals that we hear, hear in, the, in the press conferences and read in the press releases versus the reality that you see day to day? And, and do you see any issues there? Um, yes, very, <laughs> very succinctly. So, uh, well, another part of the charts that I look at, you know, as part of my hobbies, um, there's this, this kind of greenhouse gas emissions curve that's mm -hmm. needed to deliver the 1.5. And that has become nearly vert vertical over the last couple of years. So it's clear that the change that we're seeing is not fast enough because the, the goals get ever more challenging to change it. So I do believe we have a issue. Now, that is not only the power sector. You know, it's power, transportation, it's industries, agriculture. There are a lot of moving pieces. Um, now, what I can talk to is, is really the power sector. And again, what, what I see there is we have, I think, the technical ability, we have the funding to deploy more. But we are not necessarily able to. I think there is good intent. But what is short is the ability to develop, as I said before. Those are the things that really on the ground are holding us down. And the other issue that is a short-term slash medium-term issue, depending on which jurisdiction you're in, is um, as these grids, as we electrify more, as the grids become um, more renewable energy dominated, um, we need to provide for flexibility and grid balancing. And for some that has previously come from conventional. And in most jurisdictions right now, there are no regulatory um, mechanisms for that. We don't have mechanisms that remunerate players for providing flexibility. That essentially allows storage to, de to, to be deployed at scale. And 
that is the big next challenge I think that we need if we really want to make the make a step change in in renewals. And um, I do believe you know it can be done, but it really requires concerted action and urgency. It, yeah, urgency because as you said, well, the press conferences are easy. It's easy to put goals up. It's not that easy to actually deliver on these goals on, on the ground. What are We've been talking about a lot of the challenges and the headwinds and maybe more of the negative um, byproduct of the business. What, what excites you most and what, what are some of these markets that you are eyeing as um, having the greatest potential moving forward in these near and long-term scenarios? Well, but I, I, I think, as I said in the very beginning, I think we are in the right sector at the right time. I think right. it's a very, very exciting space. Um, there is a lot of growth potential. I believe there is a real mindset shift. I mean, when we started, everything was subsidized, right? We could not compete. We could only build renewables because somebody decided to make it happen. Now we are competing with conventional successfully. So I think this is actually, you know, a tremendous success story. Um, we need to go faster, no doubt about it. Now, what I'm particularly excited about is the... Um, this mindset shift, so the, the openness on the political and regulatory side to talk about it, I think it needs to be converted into action. Um, I do believe that the, um, that the uh, mindset shift also among off-takers hmm. has happened. So there's now real demand. We, we see whole new class of off-takers interested in renewables. That is really great. It's, it's not just policy. It's, it's actually the users that want to go there. Um, and the markets that I'm particularly interested in right now, well, we are in Germany. Um, I'm German, so German I think Germany. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. I think Germany is is a really um, is, is really really exciting space. Not easy, it's a big challenge. Um, where we have load centers, where we have the ability to deploy, permitting the same issues, but it has scale and also I believe there's there's a willingness. Uh, and I believe the U.S. with the IRA um, has enormous potential. Um, it's not one market. You know, it's 50. Some of them are more friendly, some of them are less friendly. Um, but I do believe. Um, the IRA has not just created a longer-term runway, but the other aspect of the IRA um, is really the industrial policy to mm -hmm. to rehouse some of some parts of the supply chain because that um, I think is very important if you look at the growth trajectory and the scale of growth that we need. Right now, we're very dependent on Southeast Asia, re rehousing that in the US and ideally also in some parts of Europe. It's, it's very, very important. Square that with what we're seeing in Europe. The, you mentioned the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act yep. in the U.S. It was not only the first meaningful step of climate action in the U.S. where I live, but it was also the first meaningful industrial policy in, in generations um, for the country. With what you're seeing in Europe now, um, given the countries that have prioritized industrial yep. policy, what do you need to see from, from the EU to make sure that um, there, is, there is momentum there to, to keep up in a similar way? I think, maybe it's a little bit harsh to say, but I think Europe does not have right now a coherent industrial policy to take charge of some of the supply chains. I think most of that, uh, it, there was a very active and to a certain extent dominant supply chain in the early 2010s that has all moved away. And right now, there's very little activity to, at least on the solar side, to, to move that back in. I think that would be an important goal. If you look at the pipeline, if you look at the ambition to allow to really deliver that with confidence and not um, be reliant purely on a you know, global supply chain.
think one of the takeaways from the Inflation Reduction Act in the U.S. also is that it's never too late and that, you know, we didn't expect to see that in the U.S., a meaningful climate action and also industrial policy. It came out of seemingly thin air, but now it it feels like the dawn of a new age. And that is something that Europe can realize as well. It is not behind the eight ball and uh, lost that opportunity. There is still time. There's time. And I think the mindset shift in Europe in the last year, for very sad reasons for the Ukraine, Russia, um, has been, you know, really momentous. So I, I, I agree. It's not too late. And I think there is willingness to, to make things happen. Axel Timon, CEO of Sanadex, thanks for joining me. John, thanks a lot. Great to be here. On December 5th, trade representatives from the U.S. and EU agreed to move forward in discussions about how to resolve concerns surrounding how the Inflation Reduction Act will impact competition in global clean energy manufacturing. No deal was reached at the Trade and Technology Council meeting in Maryland, but the two sides agreed to form a new transatlantic initiative for sustainable trade to support their shared climate goals. A joint statement released by the two sides said, quote, We acknowledge the EU's concerns and underline our commitment to address them constructively. President Joe Biden has already expressed that he doesn't want the IRA to negatively impact U.S. partners in Europe. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Factor This podcast. Make sure to check out Renewable Energy World for my coverage from Enlit Europe. And thanks to Jochen Hauf and Axel Timon for joining me. Factor This is a production of Renewable Energy World and Clarion Energy. Join us every Monday as we break down solar's most important topics with industry leaders who actually move the needle. And please leave us a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Factor This from Renewable Energy World. Hey, it's John Ingle, and I'm excited to share that registration is now live for Grid Tech Connect Forum California. Join us in Newport Beach June 24th through the 26th for the Interconnection event. We're bringing together utilities, developers, regulators, and advocates to take on one of the biggest challenges facing the energy transition, both at the DG and utility scale levels. Click the link in the episode description and use promo code PODCAST to save 10% on admission. Join our partners from the Department of Energy, NREL, Southern California Edison, PG&E, Kaiso, Sunrun, NG, Convergent, AES, and so many more for this impactful event. We'll see you there.